From Parkway Church in Kurana, this is the Parkway Podcast. Our prayer is that this message blesses and encourages you today as you listen. If you would like to know more information on who we are as a church, you can visit our website, weareparkway.com. If you have a Bible, I want you to turn to Mark chapter 9, verse 42. That's where we're going to start. We are looking at the teaching and life of Jesus from the perspective of Mark, from Mark's gospel, and seeking to learn from it and apply it to our lives and what we're learning at today um, and looking at today is words that Jesus shared to his disciples, and there's some pretty strong language in this. So here it goes, Mark chapter 9, verse 42. It says, if anyone, this is Jesus talking, if anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them if a large millstone were hung around their neck and they were thrown into the sea. If your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life maimed than with two hands to go into hell where the fire never goes out. And if your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than to have two feet and be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell where the worms that eat them do not die and the fire is not quenched. Everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can you make it salty again? Have salt among yourselves and be at peace with each other. So here's a big idea I want you to receive today, and it's this, the darkness in my life, the attitudes, the sin, the strongholds, the hang-ups, the darkness that is in my life impacts more than just my life. Let's pray together. Father, in the name of Jesus, we just give you our hearts and minds right now as we look at your scripture, and we ask in Jesus' name, would you speak clearly to each and every single one of us? Would you convict us of our sin? Would you lead us to repentance? Would you make us aware of the areas in our life that cause us and others to stumble? And would you help us to take on your weight, to take on your yoke, God, practice it, God, and live each day a little bit more like Christ Jesus. God, we give you this moment we have. We're attentive to what your spirit is saying. So Holy Spirit, speak in Jesus' name. Amen. Aaron Talston, if I'm saying that right, is best known for um, being an American outdoorsman and specifically his extraordinary tale of canyoneering in April of 2003. He was on a solo descent of the Blue John Canyon in southeastern Utah, and he had let nobody know that he was hiking on his own. Well, as he was descending down into the lower regions of the canyon, he had climbed over a boulder and it had become dislodged, and loosened and pinned his right hand between the boulder and the wall of the canyon, and he was stuck. For five days, he was stuck. Thinking that he would die, he slowly sipped the little amount of water that he had over the five days and slowly ate the two burritos that he had with him while repeatedly trying just to free his arm. Now, after the first few days, he came to the only possible conclusion that in order to live, he would have to amputate his own arm. Better to cut off your arm and live than keep it and die. 
So he began to experiment with different tourniquets, and after making a few superficial cuts on his arm, he realized that in order to free himself, he would actually have to break his bone to do so, but he had nothing to do that with, and so he just resolved to die. Now, on the fifth day, he had run out of food, and so he presumed he would die overnight, and what he did is he took his little pocket knife, and he carved his birth date and death date into the rock beside him. But as he fell asleep... He woke up the next morning to realize he was still alive, and his hand and forearm began to decompose because of the lack of circulation in his arm. And so he became desperate, and he remembered that, or he thought to himself that if I broke my bone, if I torqued my arm against itself and against the boulder, I can break the bone and use my pocket knife to saw myself free, and that is exactly what he did. And after one hour, using a dull pocket knife, he freed himself, and then he made his way through the rest of the canyon. Five days stuck, but freeing himself. Better to cut off your arm and live than to keep it and die. And I was thinking about this story and the scripture today. You and me are a little bit like Aaron. Part of us is stuck. And not in the sense that we have a hurdle or an obstacle that we need to overcome. Not that we have a difficult conversation with someone that we had to have. You know, not that we're in a place and we don't know what to do. Those may be the cases for us, but that's not what I'm referring to here. I mean that part of us is hanging on to something, whether that's an activity, an attitude, or an action, that is actually impacting our lives with God and also our lives with others. And the longer that that part is stuck, that sin, that stronghold, whatever it is, the more that part of us begins to decompose. And the more we allow that part to remain, the more likely it's going to infect and impact the rest of our lives, our heart, our spirit, and our relationships. So here in Mark chapter 9, Jesus uses some pretty strong language to illustrate how big of a deal this is. Millstone around your neck, thrown into the sea, cut off your arms, pluck out your eye, hell. The questions I got is, is this, this literal? Is, is, this, is Jesus serious here? How do we take this? What does this mean? And what does it really mean for us today? Now, I think it's important to let you know, in case you don't know this, it's always important that when you're looking at Scripture, that you study it in context. Too often, people take a Scripture out of context to use it to suit their own needs, and then they don't actually know what that Scripture is actually truly talking about. So when we're looking at something like this, it's important to ask questions like, what's happening around this? Who is he saying this to? What is the literary genre that the scripture's written in? Some scriptures were written not to be taken literally. There's some psalms that are, that are written poetically, and there's, there's scripture that is written um, as apocalyptic literature, and much of Revelations is that. So this scripture that Jesus, that we're looking at in Mark, is, is narrative, and so it's important to look at the setting. Who is Jesus talking to? Who are they around? What's happening at the time? Now, Jesus is talking to his disciples. He's talking to his 12 guys, his followers, his apprentices. He's speaking to the guys who would be leaders of the church in the future. And he's actually teaching them in the context of relationships. So often we look at this scripture, we look at this text, um, and we don't think of relationships. And so what we, what we need to is we need to consider relationships. Um, the scene that I've just followed 
Um, he had taught them uh, the kingdom definition of greatness. They were, had been arguing over who was the greatest, if you remember from last week. And then Jesus didn't rebuke them, but he redefined what greatness meant around servitude and, and sacrifice. And then John comes and he complains that they saw someone else trying to cast out a demon in Jesus' name. And so they tried to stop, stop this guy because he wasn't one of them. And then this passage takes place. And the first line says, if anyone causes one of these little ones to stumble... And the last line says, be at peace with each other. So this is a a relationship sandwich. Relationships are the bread to this teaching. This is not about individuals. This is about how we relate to each other. So the first thing Jesus says is, is anyone who causes one of these little ones to stumble. Who are the little ones? Well, he lets us know they are those who believe in me. He's saying anyone who causes his children to stumble, one of his kids, one of his believers to stumble, it would be better for them to drown. Like, you know Jesus is serious. You know he means business when he uses hyperbolic language like this. He says, don't mess with my kids. You know, I love my kids. I would protect them at all costs. If you mess with my kids, I'm going to mess you up. I'm going to mess. No, I won't. I might. I don't know what I do, but just don't mess with my kids. I love them that deeply. And Jesus here, he loves his kids, and he's saying it's better for them to drown than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. It's better for you to drown than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. What does he mean by stumble? That word means stumble. It means trip up. It means to entice to sin. And so what does he really mean by all this? He means that the consequences for causing someone to stumble on the day of judgment, the day that we will stand before God and everything's on the table, the consequence is more severe than death by drowning. That's pretty serious. Uh, Drowning was used in in the first century by the Romans as a form of capital punishment, so the disciples in hearing this, they knew that well. And Jesus, he's talking to the future leaders of the church. He's talking to the 12 disciples and about their impact on everyone that follows Jesus, how their words have weight, how their life is an example and how they lead is impactful. Can I just speak to the follower of Jesus? So I believe most of you tuning into are every one of us who bears the name of Jesus sets an example in speech and conduct. You've heard this before. Everyone who bears the name of Jesus represents Jesus. We're ambassadors. Let me just repeat that one word there, represents. It means represent. Joanna Rich, if you're tuning into our our devos online this week, she said this, and I thought it was great. She says, for some people, you may be the only Jesus they ever meet. How you live your life matters. How we live our life matters. People are watching. They're influenced by what we do and what we say and what we post. Years ago, I was uh, part of a, an organization that traveled and, and did presentations in high schools on, on purpose and value. And one of the things that we actually did is we did this leadership course. And we were in this one school, and they want us to do this course for these troubled teens. The thing was, these are like troubled, troubled teens. Like these were not the kind of people that you considered to be leaders, right? And our course really didn't fit Um, the demographic that they want us to reach here, but they want us to do it anyway. And so we're trying to rack our brains, like how are we going to fit this course to this group? 
And our admin comes and she says, you got 15 minutes, they're bringing in the kids now. And we're like, shoot, what are we gonna do? And I honestly think it was a God thing because I just felt inside me, hey, leadership is influence. You've probably heard that before. It's in like every leadership book, that leadership is influence, that we're all influencing someone one way or the other. And so that's what we told these kids. We said, hey, you may not believe it, but you're a leader because you're influencing someone by how you live your life. We put the onus on them that their lives, their actions, their decisions impact those around them. Think about your life. Think about people who have influenced you by how they live their life. Who, by how, how they live their life, has given you a clear picture of who Jesus is? Who, by how they live your life, how they live their life, sorry, has caused you to question whether following Jesus is worth it? We probably know people. So Jesus is saying to his disciples, it is better to be murdered and drown than cause another believer to stumble into sin. That's pretty strong language. Jesus is trying to make a point. It's better to live on death row than to live in a way that's going to push people away from God. And here's the uncomfortable truth. Every single one of us, all of you tuning in, every one of us in this room, we all have the capacity to profess one thing and act another way. We all have the capacity to say one thing and live differently. So the challenge that Jesus gives to his disciples in their pursuit of greatness, remember they're wanting to be great, is set an example. Everything we do sets an example how you treat your spouse, how you treat your kids, how you act at work, how you drive on the road, how you, how you react to current political tensions, which we're all feeling, what we post on Instagram and social media. Side note, we can disagree and have tough conversations and do so kindly. Let's be kind. You carry the name of Jesus wherever you go. People associate what Jesus is like by what they see you and me act like. We need to be conscious of that. So Paul, in the New Testament, if you know Paul the Apostle, he's largely responsible for writing much of the New Testament that we read today and we learn from. Um, he was writing to a young pastor named Timothy, and he said this in 1 Timothy chapter 4. He says, don't let, don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. And he said the same to another leader named Titus. He said, in everything, set an example by doing what is good. So my question for us is, what is in me that is causing or could cause someone else to stumble? What is that area where I'm stuck? What, what is that something that holds us back from life and influences others? What is the sin that, that we don't rid ourselves of? It's the, it's the attitudes and, and the mindsets. It's the desires that we give in. It's the speech. It's the actions. It's the things we do as followers of Jesus that we know we shouldn't do that in themselves aren't necessarily wrong, but because we're following the way of Jesus to live holy lives, to be above reproach, to be pure without offense, as Philippians calls us to, we shouldn't do them. Jesus says this super hard warning to his future leaders of the church, his disciples, to set an example for it's better to drown. That's Jesus saying, it is better to drown than to cause someone else to stumble. The darkness in my life impacts more than just my life. And let me say that the darkness probably doesn't look as dark to you as you think it. 
So the second thing he says, he says, if your hand, your foot, your eye causes you to stumble, right, trip up, entices you to sin, cut it off, pluck it out. It's better to enter life maimed, crippled, eyeless than to be thrown into hell. This is the kind of stuff that when you read it, you're just like, what, right? Now, let me just say this. Don't be dumb. Don't do this, right? Don't, don't go physically cutting off your arm or, or cutting out an eye. Like, don't, don't do this. Jesus is not um, advocating self-inflicting pain and torture to enter heaven. He's using hyperbole to give a serious warning. It's a serious warning, so he's trying to use serious language to demonstrate that. Now, he's already talked about the consequences for, for the sin in our lives that causes someone else to stumble, and now he laser focuses on the sin in our own lives that causes us to stumble because if we can deal with it here, it's, it's, gonna, it's gonna influence over there. It won't impact over there. So what he's essentially saying is it's better to do whatever it takes to do whatever it takes to get the thing out of your life that causes you to sin. It's better to do whatever it takes to get the thing out of your life that causes you to sin than to live in sin and to end up in hell without God, right? He's focusing on the thing that leads to sin, right? Not sin itself. Sin, the Bible tells us in James, begins with a desire in our heart, um, in our sinful nature. But if we're proactive, we can remove things from our path and not give in to that desire. So get rid of the thing that leads you to sin. If step one leads to step two, then get rid of step one. Stay away from step one. Don't do step one. If this is a friendship, cut it off, right? Jesus is saying it's not worth it. You may say, but they're my friends and I'm trying to live, influence them for Jesus. Well, the problem is, is they're influencing you and you're not influencing them, right? You're giving, you're representing Jesus in the wrong kind of way. If this is an activity, don't engage in that activity, right? It's, Jesus is saying it's not worth it. It's not worth, um, you know, buying that or going there or having that toy if that's going to lead you to do sinful things. If having your phone beside your your bedside is going to cause you to look at things in the night that you shouldn't look at, don't put your phone there, right? Be proactive. If HBO leads you to think about things you shouldn't think about, then HBO got to go. Get rid of it, right? Like do the thing, get rid of the thing that causes you to stumble. I heard this story recently of someone who sold their business because the people in the business put a riff in their marriage. So their business wasn't worth it, right? Cut it out. You say, well, that's super extreme. Jesus is sharing this. This is not a disciple. This is not me. This is not just like a guru. This is the son of God saying, it is not worth it. Cut off the limb, cut off the limb. Pluck out your eye, he's saying. Do whatever it takes to get rid of it, for it's better to be crippled. It's better to be disabled. It's better to go without than to enter hell. Strong language. Now, doctors do this all the time, right? To stop the spread of cancer. They cut out the cancerous part so that the cancer doesn't spread. Jesus is using strong language, saying that it's better to enter life maimed than to be thrown into hell. So let's have a conversation about hell. What is hell? It's when, it's when my parents say they want to come for a visit. I'm just kidding. My mom's tuning into this. She does every Sunday. I love you, mom. I love it when you visit, even though you can't visit right now. She's going to text me later. I know it. What is hell? Um, hell is actually a Greek word called Gehenna, and it was a literal place. It comes from a Greek word called Gehenna, and it was a literal place called the Valley of Hinnom in Jerusalem. It was also called Tophat, which means the Valley of Dead Bones. 
Now, in the Old Testament, this valley was actually a place that um, evil was worshipped in. It was, a, it was a place where pagan child sacrifices um, were done. But King Josiah in 2 Kings chapter 23, you can read about this, he put an end to the child sacrifices. And over time, that place became the, the city garbage dump. It was, it was their landfill. It's where they throw all their garbage in. Um, it was a place crawling with worms and maggots because of the garbage. And fires burned continually to destroy all the garbage. Now, when somebody died, what they would actually do is they would dump the corpses in this valley, in this, in this garbage dump. And so it had this putrid smoke, and it smelled like sulfur. And so it became a literal metaphor for eternal punishment, for the final resting place for Satan and demons, for the wicked and for the godless. And the symbolism didn't end there because the Gehenna was actually outside of the city of Jerusalem. And so the ultimate fate of hell was to be outside the gates of the new Jerusalem spoken about in the end of Revelation, the new heaven and the new earth that God was creating. It was to be void of the presence of God. Now, I love how 2 Thessalonians says it in chapter 1, verse 9. It says this. It says, they'll be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of of his mind. So hell is a spiritual place absent of the presence of God, and not just his being, but all the goodness that flows from the presence of God. Every single person on this planet, whether they are an atheist or a follower of Jesus, whether they, they are angry and, and hate God or not, are all blessed by the goodness of God in one way or the other. But hell is void of that. Paul said this to the church in Galatians chapter 5. He said this in verse 19. He says, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, when you follow, when you're actively engaging in the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, which is basically a junk drawer for anything of sex outside of marriage. Impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, he keeps going, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and this is my favorite one, and other sins like these. He's basically saying, there's more. Let me tell you, he says, let me tell you again, as I've done before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. Strong language. He says to the church in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, church in Corinth, Paul again, it says, don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin and worship idols. Let me just say something about idol worship. It's worship of an unworthy object. It doesn't mean that you have a little God-shaped carven image into wood in your house and you're paying homage to that. It, it could mean something that you're just giving um, unnecessary worship to, like a television set, for instance. Or commit adultery, he says. Or are male prostitutes. Male prostitution was big in that day. Or practice homosexuality. And let me just point out that word, practice homosexuality. Or are thieves, or greedy people, or drunkards, or are abusive, or cheat people. None of these will inherit the kingdom of God. So let me bring this back to what Jesus is saying in our text in Mark chapter 9. What is he teaching us? He's saying, do whatever it takes to deal with your own sin. Do whatever it takes. Take ownership. Radically shift your life. Make a huge change. Not just a small change. Make a huge change to get it out. Be ruthless in your pursuit of holiness as if you were cutting off a limb. Say, that's extreme. 
Yes, and it's serious to God. It's serious to Jesus. He's calling us to look inside ourselves and have that honest conversation about what is in us that's stopping us from living the life he intended us to live, from entering into eternity. So what is that for you? Think about that. I'm praying that the Spirit of God is speaking to every single one of us in this room, speaking to me, speaking to you. What is that for you? Cut it out. Pluck it out. Cancel the subscription. Sell the toy. Get accountability. And in all of this, the big picture is relationships. Relationships. Don't do anything that causes someone else to stumble. Because here's the thing. The darkness that is in your life impacts more than just your life. It impacts everyone around you. And he's calling his disciples. He's speaking to his disciples, right? People like you and me, followers of Jesus, to be a part of a community that loves each other, cares for one another, and sacrifices. And that cannot exist when sin is in our lives. So let's go to the questions. Is there anything in my life that is impacting my growth and my relationship with Jesus? Is there anything that's a part of me that is stopping me from taking that next step in my apprenticeship with Jesus? Change it. Make the change. Do something about it. Stop being lazy. Stop being apathetic. Is there anything in your life that is getting in the way of having Christ-like relationship with another person right now? Is there bitterness in you? Somebody hurt you or somebody did something or said something and you're just harboring bitterness just so you know that's not hurting them. That's hurting you. Is, is there gossip? Are you speaking poorly about someone behind their back? Is there judgments that you hold against someone? Or, or maybe, maybe it's just idol worship. Is there something that you're giving so much undue attention to? Jesus is saying this to his followers, his leaders. It's better to enter life crippled than it is to enter hell whole. The point is everything hinges on what you allow to stay and what you cut off. All relationships, the future of the church, your life and the lives around you. How you live your life matters. And the final thing he says, he says he says, Every, everything will, everyone will be salted with fire, but if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? Have salt among yourselves, he says. Be at peace with one another. That's how he ends this section. So now fire and salt was used in sacrifices in the Old Testament. They were part of worship. Um, fire often consumed the sacrifice, right? They cooked the sacrifice on the altar and fire but they were to season their grain offerings and animal sacrifices with salt. Now, we all know that salt is a flavoring agent, but it also helped and represented purity and preservation. It actually kept things in the ancient world from spoiling. So it became a picture for them of, of worshiping God, of sacrifices made to God, and most importantly, of covenant relationships, because that's what the sacrifices were about. It was about keeping the covenant, the promise, the relationship with God. Now, in the first century, it was possible to have um, uh, salt that wasn't pure. It was possible to have salt, something that looked like salt, but all of the salt had been washed away, and you're just left with, with some other mineral, um, and it would no longer have the same effect. And Jesus is saying, he's saying, the same thing can happen to you that it does to salt, is you can lose your effectiveness, your example can lose its effectiveness in representing Jesus. And so what he's saying is saying, have salt among you. Preserve the relationship. Preserve the connection that you have to God and to one another by what? 
by doing whatever it takes to get the sin and the things that cause you to stumble and cause others to stumble out of your life. He's saying how you live your life matters. The choices you make matters. And can I just speak to a follower of Jesus who you may be tuning in right now and you may consider yourself a follower of Jesus. You may say, I go to church, I'm a Christian. But then on other days of the week, you act a different way. And there are people who are watching your actions on those days. They don't get to see your Sunday. So they're seeing the Jesus in you on those other days. What is Jesus saying? You represent me in those moments. And so you gotta do whatever you gotta do in those moments to cut those things out so that those people see me and not a poor representation of me. I wanna close with this story. I'm gonna invite Matt. Would you come, Matt? Um, I want us to have a moment of prayer right at the end because I, I think we need God to speak to us about this. Uh, hopefully God is already speaking to you. I know he's been speaking to me all week about this, but there's sometimes there's areas in our life that we can't see that have become sinful to us and, and areas that, that we need to cut something out, but the Holy Spirit can actually speak to us if we just give him room. And so right at the end, I'm gonna share this story, but right at the end, I just want us to bow our heads and, and open ourselves up to God to have him speak because it might be different for you than it is for me. It might be different for me than it is for you, but it's the things that we need to cut out. Now, there was a Soviet expedition in Antarctica in the 1960s, um, and it took a bit of a turn for the only doctor on the team when he came down with the symptoms of appendicitis. Several weeks and weeks into the journey, he noticed um, the, the classic telltale signs of, of weakness and fever and nausea and pain in his right left quadrant, lower quadrant. Now as a surgeon, he had uh, routinely performed surgeries on appendix uh, all the time. He could identify the symptoms easily and he knew that the only way to treat um, what he was going through was to undergo an operation. But he faced two problems. He was the only qualified um, medical doctor on the team, on the expedition, and he could not be flown out of Antarctica because of the storms that they were experiencing. Now his condition worsened over weeks and weeks and the available treatments and the antibiotics did nothing to help his deteriorating status. And so his extenuating circumstances and in his unwillingness to die um, left him with only one choice is he was gonna have to perform surgery on himself. And he wrote this in his diary before he performed the surgery. He says, I did not sleep at all last night. It hurts like the devil. A snowstorm whipping through my soul, wailing like a hundred jackals. Still no obvious symptoms that perforation is imminent, but an oppress oppressive feeling of foreboding hangs over me. This is it. I have to think through the only possible way out to operate on myself. It's almost impossible, but I can't just fold my arms and give up. It's almost impossible to cut the thing out of your life that you need to cut out, but you can't give up. You can't just fold your arms and give up. So what he did is he recruited three of his uh, team members to assist him. One held the mirror and adjusted the light. The other handed him the surgical tools. And the third one was there as a backup in case either of one of these fainted as he performed this operation. And it says that on May, um, May 1st, 1961 at 2 a.m., after medicating himself with a local anesthetic, he made the first incision and completed his surgery successfully. And after two weeks, he was back to full health. So this got me thinking, if he didn't do this, his own life was at risk 
but so was the lives of others on his team because he was the only doctor. So surgery impacted not only himself, but the rest. See, the darkness that is in my life impacts more than just my life. So the surgical removal of the darkness in my life impacts more than just my life. Can I ask you, do you care about others? Do you care about your influence? Do you care about your kids? Do you care about your brothers and sisters, your family, your uncles, whoever it may be? Do you care about your coworkers? Do you care about your neighbors? Because you represent Jesus. So may we be the people who take a good look at ourselves, give ourselves an honest examination and consider what may be causing myself and others to stumble. And it's probably smaller than you think. It's probably not like some big sin that we often look at and we're like, well, thank God I don't have that. That's pride, just so you know. The Pharisee did that. He says, thank God I'm not like any of these other people. Thank God I don't have that sin. Maybe it's smaller than that. Maybe it's not one of the big ones, but maybe it's something subtle. May we be people who make the tough calls to remove what is necessary so that we may experience the life that God has for us and so we may represent Jesus adequately and properly. Like I said, I wanna close with a moment of prayer. I just wanna, I want us to pause. We're gonna pause in the room when we're in this room, um, wherever you are, in your home, in your kitchen, wherever it is for you. So I want you to pause. I want you to bow your head and let's just take a moment to, to allow God to speak to us, to reveal those areas in our lives. When we were praying earlier today, we had a pre-service prayer just amongst the team here and, and there are different things that the team shared about what they believed God was speaking to them and, and I believe that God can speak to you the same way that he can reveal areas of your life if you're honest about it. So let's pause, let's bow our heads, let's just take a couple moments in the quietness of, of the next few moments and allow the Holy Spirit to speak. Would you bow your head wherever you are? Let's pray. Thank you, Lord. Lord, right now, I pray that you speak. Speak to us, speak to every one of us. Lord, just, just lay our life bare before us. Help us to see, God, our lives clearly and help us to see the things that are there that we need to remove, that we need to cut off, that we need to pluck out. Lord, your word is teaching us today that it's better to go without, to not have, to not experience than it is to, to, to enter eternity maimed and crippled than it is to enter hell whole. Speak right now, Jesus. Speak to us, I pray. Holy Spirit, in every home, in every place, speak in the name of Jesus. We believe in you, God. We believe in you. Hallelujah, God. Come on, just ask him, what's in my life, God? What's in my life? What is there? What is the thing that holds me back? Convict me of that thing. Help me to see clearly. Jesus. For some of you, this may be a physical thing. It may be something outside of yourself that you do or you're engaged in. Maybe it's, maybe it's a, you know, binge watching Netflix. I don't know. Maybe it's, it's, it's an activity that you often do. Maybe it's a, something you consume. Maybe for many of us, it's, a, it's an attitude. It's, it's a mindset. It's a pattern of thinking. Maybe, maybe for us, it's something a little bit more 
relational or emotional. It's, it's that bitterness we're harboring against someone. It's, it's the gossip we've been speaking against someone. What is that for me, Lord? Now, if you're honest about this, truly bowing your head and you're asking the Lord to speak, probably the first thing that you feel or you sense or that word comes to mind or pictures the thing, it might be hard for you to accept. And and sometimes it's not even a, a sinful thing in and of itself, but it's just something that holds us back. It's something that gets us stuck between the boulder and the canyon wall something that stops us from taking that next step forward from, from, from really representing Jesus how we could, from having the full life that God gives us that in turn sets an example for others. Maybe for you, it's, a, it's very clearly sin. The Bible says that for those of us who are aware of our sin, but we, we deliberately keep on sinning, no sacrifice is left. If you're aware of the sin that is in you, repent right now. Confess it to God. Lord, I'm a sinner. I've been doing this. Forgive me. And then repent. Repent means to change. Do a change. Make a change. Holy Spirit of God, would you speak to us right now? Now, if we were in the church right now, this would be the altar moment. This would be where we would come forward and we would... We would physically act and walk forward to the front of the room and and enter into prayer and enter into worship. But this is it right now in your home. You might have kids running around, it's okay. You might have other people that aren't engaged in this, that's okay. It's you and God right now. Lord, speak to us. Holy Spirit, thank you that you speak. Thank you that you speak clearly. Make your words clear to us in Jesus' name. So here's what I I wanna ask you to do. Now that you have that thing, now that you're aware of that thing, now you know what that is, two things I'm gonna ask you to do is number one is make the change. Make the change. Whatever that looks like. If you don't know how to make the change, ask somebody. Ask somebody for help. Hey, this is my thing. What do I do? Make the change. It might be a big change. It might radically shift your entire life. It might be a a job change. It might be a career change. It might be cutting off a, a friendship that you've had for a long time, but it's just toxic. And it might not appear toxic to them or to culture, but it's holding you back. Make the change. Secondly is, is tell some people because that brings accountability in. When I have a son tell someone that, hey, this is, this is the thing that's been holding me back. This is the thing I need to cut out, that I need to pluck out. This is the thing that's causing me to stumble. This is the thing that's causing others to stumble and I wanna get rid of it. It's, it's, it holds you accountable. It lets people know and all of a sudden you feel, you've, I don't wanna say the pressure, but you feel you have to do it because somebody else is aware of it now, right? Make the change, make the big change and then bring some accountability into it. I wanna encourage you just before I kind of close this in prayer, a um, couple things is we are starting tomorrow. If you're, if you're a part of our 21 days of prayer and fasting, we just finished 
uh, ended our 21 days of prayer and fasting yesterday. And I know for my life, it was powerful. And God, I felt connected to God in, in a fresh way this year. And, and it set me up with some habits for the remainder of this year. And my hope and prayer is that you felt the same, that you were empowered, even though it was hard, even though it was difficult, that you were encouraged, that you were strengthened, that your faith is on fire now. I wanna encourage you to continue doing fasting and prayer. Um, taking time each week to maybe have a fast, whatever that looks like for you. Um, but what, what, what we did over the 21 days is we um, did a Bible reading plan together uh, on YouVersion Bible app, a free app that's available. Uh, if you don't have that app, download it because we're gonna start a new one tomorrow, a 40-day Bible reading plan, just going through the whole story of the scripture, kind of taking key stories, and we're gonna go through that together. Why are we doing this? Because it's accountability. I'm more likely to read my Bible when I know that I'm reading my Bible with others. And so if you wanna be a part of that, let us know. Jump on version, download it. You know, you can find me and, and befriend me on there and then we can invite you to that group that starts tomorrow if you wanna join with that. Uh, but let's bow our heads wherever you are and let's just pray for one final time as we close. Father God, you're in heaven, Lord, and we just ask that you would just come into our home and come into our, our life, Lord, and come into our, our town, Lord, our region, um, as you do in heaven. Lord, I pray that you would invade our space. Lord, that you'd radically uh, impact our lives. I pray that your spirit would so um, clearly convict us of areas that, that we can't help but move forward, that we can't help but make changes and repent and move forward. Lord, speak clearly to us and continue, God, to put, our, put your finger on those things that we need to cut out of our lives in order to live the whole life that you promise us. God, you promise us abundant life. Lord, I pray that we would make those decisions that are going to um, help us better represent you. Lord, let us be mindful of the strong language you give us, the seriousness of this message, that there's things in us that actually impact those around us, and, and that's huge. And so, Father God, speak to us as only you can speak. Bring hope to those who need hope today, Lord. Hope that you are a God of love, that you promise a better day, that you promise life and life to the full in the midst of circumstance. So I pray that each of us would reach out to you, God, would draw closer to you, Lord. I pray that you're glorified, God. I pray you're blessed by our lives, you're blessed by our church, God. We lift up your name, God, we exalt you. You are the pastor of this church. You're the leader of this church. This is your church, God. We give it to you, Father. And we bless your name and we praise you. And we thank you, God, in the name of Christ Jesus, by the spirit that is in us, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, listen, God bless you. Have a great week. We'll see you next time. Thank you so much for listening. We hope that this message brought you closer with Jesus and gave you a better understanding of your walk with him today. If you would like to know more about who we are as a church, you can visit our website, weareparkway.com. You can also like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram at parkway.church.